You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 188, Kiki's Delivery Service, to Gigi or no Gigi. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love and appreciation of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive in to today's episode. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We are your hosts. My name is Chelsea Robson. I'm Morgan Stradling. And today we have a very special guest, our Roto Nation Diamond member, Becca Grimakova. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Great to be here. So if you don't know, one of our patron perks for the Animation Addicts Podcast is our diamond level patrons get to join us on an episode which is exciting because this is the very first of these that we are doing and sometimes the patrons will be able to pick the movie other times it's whatever is on our schedule but this one we had an opening in our schedule so becca got to choose kiki's delivery service which i'm kind of shocked that we haven't done yet to be honest but so so thrilled and excited to do this movie and to review this movie because it is such a classic with every guest on the rotoscopers becca you are very lucky because today we are going to play catch and fire (laughs) well then how about a quick round of catch and fire catch and fire you mean me you're the only one with enough Catch and fire for anybody who is brand new. We invite all of our guests to come in and we ask a series of rapid fire questions. Basically, well, all of them having to do with animation. And it is your job, Becca, to answer them as without thinking, just right off the top of your head. This is what you choose, okay? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. What is the first animated movie you remember seeing? Uh, Tarzan. Favorite cartoon growing up? Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, Magic School Bus. Favorite animated movie? Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Favorite animator or artist? Uh, Glenn Keane. Classic animation or CGI? Classic. Favorite animation studio? Uh, Disney. Disney or Pixar? Oh, it's like choosing between two children. Uh, I'll say Disney. Laika or Studio Ghibli? Studio Ghibli. Songs or no songs? Songs. Which one do you rather do you enjoy better? Summer releases or winter releases? Winter. Tiana or Mulan? Mulan. Okay. And here is the final question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Which would you rather watch? Mulan 2 or The Land Before Time 16? Oh my gosh. The Land Before Time 16. 
belongs to in the movie that shall not be named. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. I don't even think there is a Land Before Time 16. The one that I see is yes. <laughs> Land Before Time 8. I know there is that one, The Wisdom of Friends. <laughs> but, but wow. Oh, I think, yeah, they, they think there's like almost 16 of them <laughs> probably <laughs> you'd rather but, wow. yeah the only oh, the only good thing to come out of Mulan too for me was the fact that Mulan and Shang got married and that again I would have just preferred as you know a cute a cute little short like they did with Tangled um before they made the Tangled tv series I just oh a lot of that movie just annoyed me so much <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my gosh so funny i love it <laughs> yeah i don't have a nostalgic attachment to uh the line before time as a series and i have a nostalgic attachment to mulan just as a, a single movie okay so yeah i'm a bit more forgiving towards line before time because it's already a series that i grew up with so awesome all right well there you go there we have it you have passed catch and fire <laughs> Yay! 52 out of 52! Well done! So tell us who you are, where you come from, and what you do. Will do. So I'm Rebecca, or Becca as many of my friends like to call me. Uh, I am a Canadian. I come from a really small town just outside of Ottawa in Ontario, um, a very small, like rural farming, agricultural sort of community. Um, I am a pharmaceutical packager by day and an author and illustrator by night. I write mostly short fiction at the moment, um, focusing on strong heroines uh, and fairy tale retellings. I enjoy writing uh, ordinary people doing amazing things in magical lands and far-off places. I actually have a short story coming out in a couple of weeks that's based off of my love for Studio Ghibli and especially the film Spirited Away, so keep an eye out for that. And I am a huge, huge animation fan. I grew up on really obscure Canadian TV series I love Greek mythology and classical literature. Yeah. So basically, we're going to be BFFs right now. <laughs> yeah. I love Hopefully it. Hopefully beyond just now. Yeah. <laughs> Our animation BFF. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for joining. I'm so excited to have you. And well, with that, should we jump into our main discussion? Let's do it. Sounds good. So we are discussing Kiki's Delivery Service, which is a classic, and we will get into all of our thoughts about this Studio Ghibli film. But before we do, I'm going to give you some basic general information, which, of course, we get from all across the interwebs, Box Office Mojo, IMDb, Wikipedia, and wherever bonus materials are found. 
In this case, I already spoiled it. The studio is Studio Ghibli. Directors, Hayao Miyazaki. He also wrote and produced this film. Release date, the Japanese original release date was July 29th, 1989. And later it was released as an English dub in American theaters in May 23rd, 1998. This was actually the first release that Disney had done of the Studio Ghibli films. They acquired the North American rights for these films in the late 90s. And Kiki's Delivery Service was the first of these that they released. And so we'll talk about that in our early memories of this film, if if at all, from the 90s um, in, a, in a little bit. Later, it was released on home video September 1st, 1998, and then had multiple re-releases, as all great films do nowadays, uh, which probably we'll, we'll be seeing less and less of those as everything moves to digital and streaming. The budget was around 800 million yen, which is equivalent of 6.9 million US dollars. And then the box office was 4.3 billion yen for Japanese theaters. So we can frankly say that this was a huge, huge success for the studio. And really, when people think of Studio Ghibli, this probably is one of the top films that comes to mind, at least for me it is. And I, I think we'll jump right into, you know, our initial memories of this film. But this, for a lot of people, since it was, this was the first time for, for Americans or those in, you know, in Canada, North America, there was Sailor Moon, there was Dragon Ball, you know, those types of anime were starting to come into the U.S. in the early 90s, mid 90s. There was Pokemon Obviously, Japanese culture was beginning to become slightly more mainstream, but the Studio Ghibli films were produced predominantly, you know, there's so many that are from the 80s and the 90s, but it took a while for them to get to the U.S. And so with this being the very first one to come out in the late 90s, um, it really is, is stands out, at least in my mind, because I remember seeing this, you know, at Blockbuster. I never owned it, but because there wasn't this collection of Studio Ghibli films at you know, available yet, there was really just this one. And for me, just seeing the name of this was very unique. And then cover with this girl flying on a broomstick, it always was something that really captured my attention. I was interested in, but I don't believe I ever saw it initially during the 90s. What about you guys? I also never saw this. Yeah, I don't think I saw commercials for it, I think. Um, but I actually didn't really get into Studio Ghibli until I was in high school and friends of mine really got me into uh, Japanese animation. Before that, I was mostly, I mostly grew up on just like regular Disney and Pixar. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in the 90s, I think I, I was like only, I was a very, very wee small tot. So <laughs> um, yeah, definitely it wasn't, and being in a very rural community too, like Japanese uh, culture and sort of our Western fascination with it hasn't hadn't really come to my area yet. Right, right. I do remember seeing the video, uh, seeing the cover. I remember the name. I always kind of confused it with another movie that I can't remember right now. And so I was like, had I seen this? Have I not? <laughs> I don't remember. And as I started watching it this time, I was like, yeah, nope, never seen this. All right. Mm -hmm. But I, I do always, the name itself, for whatever reason, sticks out in my mind. Like Kiki's Delivery mm -hmm. Service. Like, that's an interesting name. Right. <laughs> so 
I was I was like, all right. Yeah. And I was actually looking at the Wikipedia as I was preparing for this. And I just thought there was a funny, funny fact. You know, normally they'll give the box office reception and how well it did and, you know, the release. And it just mentioned on here that it was when the week that it had come out on VHS, that it was the eighth most rented title for that week. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. I mean, I guess for such a unknown sort of film at the time that that was a big deal but normally you don't that doesn't even make your wikipedia page like eighth most rented of the week <laughs> maybe like eighth most rented of the year you might see but of the All week right. <laughs> just i personally got a kick out of that I'm like okay um but yeah it did go on that vhs release to do over a million copies and so maybe before we get started let's talk about the voice cast of the u.s version the, the one that we're most familiar with, there was a release that was done in 1990 that was not associated with the the Disney uh, release, I guess. It was Streamline Pictures and Tokuma. But Kiki in the 1997-98 version, which they kind of recut later on to make more, uh, more uh, akin to the original production. And that's something that we actually do see from these films that were in these films and series that were brought over in the nineties versus now is in the nineties. They really changed a lot of things to make it suitable for an American audience or yeah. just to make it relatable because this was such an unknown, this, this asphyxiation with Japanese culture by Americans and North Americans was not necessarily what it is today. And so they're like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to like it. So we need to change these things. So it works for our market, which obviously still happens today. But at the time, they did it a lot for Japanese anime, and we see here, which we'll talk about in a second, or definitely uh, there's a big, big change at the end. Uh, I think of in Sailor Moon, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune were lesbians, yeah. and that was too much for American Americans at the time, and so they changed them to just be cousins, which really kind of changes the whole dynamic yeah. between the two. <laughs> but that's just an example of you know something that happened. Which now, when they go back and they redub, like they most of the time they, they really don't touch it. If they're going to dub it, they they try to keep it as pure to the original script as possible, which I do appreciate because you know this is Hayao Miyazaki's film. I want to see his film. I don't want to see the Disney-fied you know, Americanized version of it. So, so anyways, I, 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 that was kind of a tangent, but the, you might know some of these names, which Kiki was done by Kirsten Dunst, who was mm -hmm. young at the time, but then, but not that young because she very quickly in, in 2000, 2001. Well, at the same time she had done Anastasia as well for the voice. Oh yes. The voice of young Anastasia. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. Like Chelsea said, she was Kiki. She was Anastasia. And then just a few years later, she was in the Spider-Man series. And that was a, a really, really big role for her. And then Gigi, this ultimately breaks my heart. It's You can hear it right away if you're a fan of him. But Phil Hartman does the voice <laughs> of, of Gigi. I'm such a big fan of him from The Simpsons. He yes. was just, he did so many characters for The Simpsons and tragically was killed by his wife, which is just, ah, I don't oh. even want to think about it because he was just such an, a, such a talented <laughs> guy. And um, this was his last voice acting role that he did before um, that happened the year following. Oh, really? Yeah. A few other notable people in the cast was Osona was Tress McNeil, who 
they very much tapped the voice actor pool in this case. You know, she's best known as Dot in Animaniacs, Babs Bunny, Tiny Toon Adventures. She's the current voice of Daisy Duck. She just has a very, very distinct voice, in my opinion. She's 69 right now, which is crazy. And wow. she's going to be like June Foray and keep voicing <laughs> characters into her 90s. But I absolutely love her. And the only other uh, notable name that I'm going to talk about is Matthew Lawrence did Tombo, who is the the young boy. And you might know uh, 90s girls might know him as he was in Boy Meets World and Mrs. Doubtfire. He was kind of kind of American heartthrob in the 90s, not JTT level, but, you know, he, I mean, he was, was one of those. Who was JTT right. level? <laughs> Speaking of, where did he go? Uh, uh, the rise and fall of JTT. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another episode. Yes. Maybe patron-only podcast, we can talk about that. <laughs> the rise and... It's totally off-tangent. <laughs> we could do, like, a, the rise and fall of our favorite voice actors, because... That's true. He, yeah. he was on there. Ooh, that'll be interesting. So, there you go. That's our little voice acting tidbit. I... Chelsea and I personally love talking about the voice actors and find it really fascinating, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about Kiki's delivery service. So let's jump right into it, shall we? Let's do it. Presenting a very special animated movie only on video. You'd think they'd never seen a girl on a broomstick before. Kiki's delivery service. She's a teenage witch. My name's Kiki. With a very special talent. Do you think maybe you could teach me how to fly? Ah! Together with her talking cat, Gigi. Kiki sets out on an enchanted adventure that will sweep you off your feet. Oh. Kiki's Delivery Service. Smile so we make a good impression. On sale now. Rated G. The 90s were all about witches. We had Sabrina. We had Kiki's Delivery Service. I mean, Harry Potter came to be during the 90s. We just have this obsession with kind of witches. And I think that's one of the reasons why... I mean, this is like a harmless witch for sure. There's definitely the scarier witches out there. But as far as, you know, those marketed to children, they're usually more tame, you know, happy. They just do, they're a good witch, right? They do do good things with their powers. And I thought that was one of the things that really made this film stand out to me uh, or appeal to me so young when I initially, you know, became aware of it was just that it was like this girl riding this broomstick and it just looked so fun and whimsical. And that really is the word that I would use to describe this film is, is whimsical. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah, I remember seeing the trailer and like thinking about how fun and whimsical the movie was going to be. And then it, and then as we got further on into the movie, it sort of surprised me like the darker turn it took and especially towards the end. Oh yeah. I felt like this was a very interesting um character arc because she starts off, Kiki is a 13-year-old girl, and she's, it's time, I guess, on her 13th year sometime, like one, whatever full moon she chooses, I guess, uh, decides to leave her home and must leave her home for a year and become her own witch somewhere else. And generally speaking, it's going to be in a place that's not that's more, I, I mean, she ends up choosing a place at least that is not as um, superstitious, maybe like doesn't have as many witches around, even though she like runs mm -hmm. into a witch on the way there, which I thought was odd because uh, they never brought her back. I was like, come on, bring in more snotty mix, not face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why aren't we bringing in more of these witches? I, I want to see all of them. Um, and she, but I, I felt like that was first off interesting because I mean, you look at our 
today in age, uh, children aren't normally considered adults or it's not their chance or expected to leave their house and take care of themselves until like 18 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, and even then some parents may say, (laughs) no, you're too young. Stay with me. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and then you have, but I mean, you look at a hundred years ago, uh, and people were at 13, definitely leaving their house and doing their own thing. And living a life and you just I've seen other like coming of age type movies where it's like they their parent had to send them away to work for somebody you know and mm-hmm. so it's like it's interesting looking at it from this perspective of no you're not ready to leave the house until you know forever and this uh, you know leaving the house at 13 like whoa weird yeah it's not a totally unheard of concept you know leaving so young. And actually, if you look up the origins of the term teenager, it's not necessarily a word that existed until just recently, you know, within the last couple hundred years, if not, you know, a couple hun- last hundred years. And it's really because it, when they became teenagers, they essentially in the olden days, because you didn't live that long, let's be honest, right. um, you were an adult and you were expected to take on those duties where now we really do baby our teenagers. Like it's your fun years, just enjoy it. And so I, I agree with you initially when you were, you're thinking the movie's going to be this one thing, you know, witchcraft and she's flying on this broom, whatever. And the witchcraft elements are, are kind of really pushed to the side. There's not a lot of focus on it. She doesn't actually do magic in any way other than flying. Yeah. But we're, the very beginning, you not know what to expect. And then suddenly this young girl, at least from our perspective, is leaving home and she's flying the nest to, you know, go spread her wings and learn. You know, it's almost like she's going to boarding school, except for totally not right. because she has to figure it all out on her way, which is it, it's kind of jarring for a modern audience where this isn't really the norm, at least in uh, I, North American culture, right. you know, maybe other cultures. Mm-hmm. That is the case. But so I actually really like that because it really spins and puts this world on its head. You realize, okay, we're we're not in Kansas anymore. We are in an entirely different era world. It's supposed to be set somewhere in Northern Europe. Um, you know, not necessarily a real a real place, but it's meant to look like Northern Europe. That's what the book kind of established it. And then it's not necessarily olden days either. I mean, there's planes and there's more modern technology. And so there's these, and then at the same time, there's these witches and, and they're kind of relics of this old world that are still around and, and still, you know, being witches and following that path. So yeah, from the very beginning, I think it's just an interesting uh, juxtaposition of the modern world and what we're expecting. And then her going off and she's so confident in where she's going. And at the same time, the parents are slightly reluctant because they're like, Oh, it's already here. You know, my little girl grew up, but at the same time, they they just accept it because that's part of what happens and what you need to do to grow up. <laughs> and so we see this theme of, you know, leaving childhood behind throughout. And this really is her journey of doing that. The Kiki at the very end of the film is completely different than the Kiki at the beginning, who thought she was pretty grown up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I loved her parents. I thought for the little that we saw them, that they were very interesting characters. And I was actually really sad that they weren't in the movie more. Uh, So it's very refreshing to have such a healthy, like 
parent-child relationship in an animated movie, they're sort of hard to come by, right. as you know, we all know from Disney. Films. Right. <laughs> How can we make this more dramatic? Okay, kill off one of the parents. It's always the go-to. <laughs> but in you know, Ghibli world, it's it's different. And I like that it seems nearly all of their films take their time and just let us explore the characters at a slower pace than other films. I was thinking of other films that we reviewed recently and I was we were about I was about 15 minutes into the film and not much had happened. We were introduced to her parents. She finally left and she was flying away. You know, that was about it. And, you know, still we weren't the plot wasn't totally, you know, go, go, go. Whereas other films like we've done recently, like Shrek 3, 15 minutes in, we were whew, way barreling down the road. Yeah. So many characters were introduced, lots of plot lines. You know, they were already getting ready to go on another subplot. So it was just interesting and definitely a breath of fresh air having watched so many American films recently to just be able to take time and breathe. You know, that opening scene with Kiki where she's laying in the grass and listening to her radio and you just see the the different pieces of grass that are blowing in the wind. And she's just kind of relaxing and enjoying her last little bits of childhood, if you will. And I loved it. I, and, and the, the movie continues at that pace for the majority of it. It reminded me a lot of the sound of music, the opening mm, or yeah. she's just in the Hills. And I almost expected her to get up and start dancing around, <laughs> which would have been awesome. <laughs> I really liked mm-hmm. the music in this. The opening song was really fun. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, dang. So Kiki's was based off of a novel by, I hope I don't mess up this name, Aiko Kedono. Good enough. Um, and a lot changed. Perfect. <laughs> and they made a lot of changes from the original novel. Miyazaki wanted to insert his own brand of drama. Uh, he really wanted to focus on Kiki's journey from childhood to womanhood. So he added the airship incident that occurs at the end of the film, and Kiki's dramatic loss of magic. Uh, Kadono mm. was not pleased with the different changes that were introduced, and the project actually almost came to a complete halt when it was still in the script writing stage, I believe. Uh, so Miyazaki pulled a Disney and went to Kadono's house uh, to get the author to come to the studio, learn a bit more about the project, and eventually they got her blessing to continue, and he helped save the project so it could uh, be made into the film that we know today. So very interesting. Which I thought. So wait, she didn't lose her ma- she didn't lose her magic at all, and there was no airship. That's a huge difference. <laughs> that is not like. Oh yeah. Just well, the cat was black versus white. You know. <laughs> hmm. Yep. Uh, it was very much a an episodic sort of novel that uh, Cadono wrote. It was very like more slice of life. Um. And it was more about Kiki going around and making friends with the people that she delivered goods to. And she didn't really come across any sort of hardship. Uh, there was more focus on her, uh, you know, goodness of heart. And yeah, basically, I guess, just making friends and very, very light and sort of fluffy there. Oh. Um, but I sort of would be interested to read that because I love Slice of Life. I love very relaxed um stories and that's sort of part of the reason why i love some of studio ghibli's movies is that it's exactly that it's very relaxing and breathable so and i even found kiki's for the most part 
that way. So it was very interesting that Miyazaki was like, this is going to be full of drama. (laughs) Also, at the same time, totally not surprised that he wanted an airship in there. It feels like that's just his thing. Anything with aircrafts, you know, he's going to find a way. Totally, totally. (laughs) Ah, Good times. Yeah, and you know, and you are an author, and this happens a lot where they're they're the rights of the film get you know purchased by different studios and very rarely does it stick to the source material the studios want to change things make it more exciting make it better for film and some you know you either have to deal with it or you have a very animated and uh, vocal author who kind of steps in but seems like it all worked out in the end you know and I was going to mention how, yeah, how it's possible for those changes to occur, but it's nice to have, I like to look at it as the novel is one thing and the movie is a whole other um, mm-hmm. entity unto itself. So you can appreciate both without, you know, fans of either sort of going at each other's throats. Because sometimes that happens right. where, you know, people are like book or film and it's like, you know, uh, like with Howl's Moving Castle, I have friends that absolutely love the book and I have friends that love the film. And sometimes it can get a little bit hairy yeah. <laughs> when you're discussing it. Um, I love both. Uh, I think I lean more towards the film because of the utter like beauty of the animation and the music is just gorgeous. But I have other friends who prefer the comedic whimsicality of the book. And I'm like, both are good. Both. Both is good. There is room in the world for both, (laughs) you know, and, you know, when you bring books to movies, many times you're introducing it to an entirely new audience that previously would never have any idea, especially with this being a Japanese book. I don't think any of us would necessarily know about this or be, you know, you really have to dive deep in, you know, to Japanese culture to find it probably, Um, you know, as a result, we're talking about it now, which, which yeah, I'm grateful exactly. for, and which makes me kind of want to go and find the original book and then read the source material now. Yep. Same. Uh, and it's like that with, you know, Winnie the Pooh. It's mm-hmm. very different from the original books. And I love both as well. But the original books are like so, you know, for children's books, they're very... They're very adult with some of the humor and the way the animals treat each other. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to think like these things that we think of as just children's uh, books or children's movies or whatever. Like it's much, uh, there's a much wider audience often involved than one would first think. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, I mean, just the whole arc of that they, that those events added for Kiki were really just Mm -hmm. changed her. Like it, it really made this a story because um, it was just interesting how it starts out with her having enough confidence to go out and she's capable mm-hmm. of flying, but apparently only just because uh, her mom says, oh, she only just <laughs> right. she only just learned. And here, have take my student. Driver. Right, right. <laughs> take right. my take mine. <laughs> but it's old. <laughs> take my broom. <laughs> Ages. <old>. Right. Ages <laughs> over here. <laughs> and and I was, well yeah and then we see her nearly derail you know fly off course trying to just get out of her house she's banging into trees oh miss those bells I'm like oh man 
<laughs> I bet yeah, her parents so are like, uh, why did we let her leave? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably expecting bills for damages in the uh, mail. Right. But it was, I just, like, okay, so she starts out with this confidence, and then it starts going on, and then she realizes now that she has, she's made this one talent of hers a job, like, because she's, because other witches have other talents as well, but she only has the flying part. Like, I think, I feel like she left too soon. I feel like she should have yeah. stayed home, <laughs> should have gotten her studies done, like, started working on those potions or even something else. Stay in school. Right. Like, come on now. Right. Not just two weeks after you learn how to fly and that's your only talent. Right. So- if you can call it that. <laughs> Which I guess she can fly and others can't. So it's a talent. It's it's real. Oh yeah, no, totally. And then later on she says the like, oh, flying used to be fun before I made it my job. And I was like, oh, that takes you back to the book The E Myth. Yep, that's really what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the book The E Myth ba- talks about how a lot of people they start businesses based on what they like to do rather than the actual knowledge of knowing how to run that as a business. And then the yeah. the fact that they like to do it turns it into a job, which means they no longer like to do it. And so that basically happens to her. She ends up getting to the point where I she doesn't like doing it anymore and then somehow forgets. Like, that was weird. Like, I, I wasn't quite sure why she could no longer mm-hmm. fly on her own. I really actually loved sort of that part. And for me, being an artist and an author... I equated it to like artistic burnout where, um, you know, she's sort of forgotten or lost her will to do so like subconsciously because she's not enjoying it anymore. She's lost that spark. And I've definitely had long periods of time where I struggled to write. I struggled to um, draw. And so her character arc through the film was very relatable for me, even if there were other issues I've had I have with this movie that that part of it was very uh very emotional for me as I was mm-hmm. watching um so I thought that was captured very well but for but it, they could have delved a little bit more into it I think because not every viewer is going to come with that background mm-hmm. so I almost feel like Miyazaki sort of wrote this story as much as he might say for like girls I think he almost did it for himself to present maybe a part of himself out there that he is like this really famous put together animator might not be able to necessarily out overtly present to to the Japanese public no and I 100% get that too because I've definitely been through moments and years (laughs) where Like Mm -hmm. I, you just feel very much emotionally and artistically drained. Um, But my actual question was like, what was the, what was the impetus? Yeah. The catalyst. Mm, I think, I mean, they even say in the movie that it's sort of like equivalent to writer's block. There isn't necessarily anything, any one thing that causes it. It's just something that, that happens to us, especially as we're doing new things and yeah. So there's this model called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And essentially it's as someone starts something new, it, there, there's two axes on this. It's your level of confidence and your level of competence, right? Uh-huh. So when you know mm-hmm. nothing and you're just starting out, 
you don't know what you don't know. And so the, your confidence level is super high, yeah. you know, and many times you can equate this to learning a new instrument. I'm going to paint and I'm going to be just as good as the Disney artist, or I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm make, you know, mm-hmm. six figures in two months, whatever, you know? And so you, you leave, you quit your job, you do your thing and you hit the peak of confidence very quickly, knowing nothing. It's called the peak of Mount stupid. <laughs> and then very quickly you start knowing that you don't know what you don't know and you fall rapidly into this valley of despair oh, where pit of despair. you still don't know anything and your confidence now is very low. And then as you keep working on your skill and growing, there's this slope of enlightenment, as they call it, where you're gaining more confidence and more competence at the same time. And then at the very end, it's the plateau of stability. So you're finally incredibly competent and confident, but the path that it takes to get there is just a roller coaster. And I kind of think this is what happened to yeah. Kiki is that she didn't know what she didn't know. She just went and she hit the peak of Mount Stupid and then she flew, you know, it's, it's kind of a harsh name, but, <laughs> and then she kind of falls into this valley of despair, realizing that like, here I am. And I actually don't know a lot. And, you know, then your confidence falls and everything. And sometimes the skills that you may have gained at that point you kind of lose them or you don't have as much confidence in them. And so it seems as though they're gone. And so that's definitely what came to mind when I was, when Mm. I was watching it for sure. She loses her powers right after that little tiff with Tombo, right? Sort of that one-sided, I suddenly am angry at you because I didn't really understand that scene. Was she, was she angry at him because he dared to be friends with a snobby girl? And then she's like, yeah, that that scene at the beach was when I was watching, I thought, was that the reason why she suddenly lost her powers? Because like this connection that she's been building to, with Tombo over the movie is suddenly a little bit less uh, less stable. And because then at the end of the movie, when she gets her powers back, it's to rescue him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That was weird. (laughs) It was was like, what in the world was it that like that knocked her off her broom figuratively Mm -hmm. and literally Uh, I I and then after that, all she was she like even still went to go do these deliveries. And I'm like, girlfriend, you're really not going to work. This isn't going to work. Yeah. So I felt like, yeah, that was those are all interesting. I didn't like. I didn't like. I don't know. Did I like Tombo? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure if I liked him either. I was like, I like his shirt. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I need to give me one of those uh, Where's Waldo yeah. shirts, man. Those are great. Yeah, it it just felt like his character wasn't very necessary, except for except for the end, almost. Like he has to exist so Kiki can save him. Uh-huh. But otherwise, he just sort of felt like that annoying kid that you know you that's in your neighborhood that you sort of feel obligated to be friends with but don't necessarily want to be friends with (laughs) he was um yeah and I didn't really understand Kiki's reaction to him either it felt like she just like had a hate on for him for no reason because 
you know, uh, country girl meets city boy. City boy is like infatuated, not, follow, not following the rules. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> you need to be introduced just... before you talk to a lady. Or <laughs> she mentions yeah. it. Like, okay, and honey. Then she a grudge. We're not in the 18th century for... <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Which may be just this clash of cultures that she's used to. Mm -hmm. We do see this. She comes from a very, very small town. And even when she's up in the sky and she meets that little witch, she's like, wow, that's where you're from. She's like, yeah, it would be small to you. You know, and it's just kind of reinforcing at the very, very beginning that like she's going to be really out of her element. And she lands in the city that is just so completely different than essentially a a rural Mm -hmm. place that's kind of on old fashioned values and more of the olden world where she's thrown into this new world and and the people act differently. The boys act differently. It's just a different uh, way that she needs to learn and adapt and change in order to grow. Mm -hmm. It just, it felt a little weird because at the beginning her and her friends are all giggling about boys and, (laughs) and I was sort of like, Oh, like, you know, so she's expecting to meet boys and then she meets one and it's like, how dare you talk to me? I'm like, Kiki, don't we all, some consistency? Don't we all like act like that though when we were teenagers? It's like we all had crushes, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, but don't talk to me. No, I'm going to ignore you now because you're talking to me and I really, really like you, but I'm not even going to look in your direction. I mean, I get it. That's a little real. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not necessarily a what was happening there. So can we talk about the witchcraft in this world? Because mm. it's Kiki's delivery service and you see her on this broom and she's this new witch, but it seems like everyone in her old town either are witches or, you know, like her group of girlfriends seem to be all for it, you know, when she's, mm-hmm. she's leaving and whatnot. So you just expect the, the magic to be more commonplace I guess, and more prevalent in the story, but it's actually not. There's no magic spells, no potions, you know, none of the things that you would think when you're thinking of magic and, and witches. It's very, very subtle. In essence, all of this is just their gap year. <laughs> yep. Like they just, they go away for a year and then come back and there you go. But in her case, it's more of like an apprenticeship on her own. Like, it's not just her to, it's not just like to hang Mm -hmm. and like see the world. She actually has to get stuff done. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, I see it as a boarding school, but like self solo, like (laughs) self paced. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like they talked a lot about like different talents and like each witch has a talent that they focus on and sort of uh, grow. But then I think there's a line where Kiki's like, yeah, I haven't really ever thought about that. And I'm like, girl, what have you been doing then for the last 13 years? Yeah, we don't see her mom. We know her mom's a witch. She has a broom, but we don't see her do anything magical. We, Other than flying, we don't see anything that's happening here. And um, I that's very purposeful. You know, that's a, a, a style choice to keep it in, in a story that we need to focus on. But same time, I really would have liked to have seen a lot more uh, other witches doing what they do yeah. best, you know, but it's Kiki's story. And, you know, then she lands in this world where it's you know, magic really is kind of a thing of the past. It's not necessarily looked down on. It's just something that's different and old, but like, that's cool. You can fly. And we see that with the Sono who, you know, the baker who 
the very first delivery that Kiki does, she's kind of wowed when she hops on her broom and, and goes away. It's not like, what the heck is happening here? But it's still an admiration for something that mm-hmm. they probably don't see every day in this town. So just interesting. Yeah, I was a little confused about uh, when Kiki first arrives. Yeah, she almost gets into an accident. But then the townsfolk around her, instead of being like, oh my gosh, like, poor little kid, it's like, don't look at her, sort of run away. And I was really confused about that because um, what, like, what was the reason for that? Nothing was really established to explain why they, re- why they would react that way. Um, it just felt a little bit contrived almost in order to make Kiki feel, oh, like, I don't belong here, like right off the bat, but I would have liked a little bit more um, established. So that moment felt a little bit more true. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other themes that you guys noticed? I was really intrigued by the lack of materialism. It really uh, stood out to me, like when Kiki's traveling all by herself and that whole like first 15, 20, well, 10, 15 minutes where she's you know, traveling on her own with Gigi and all she has is her broom and her little sack and the clothes on her back. Um, That entire uh, part of the movie I absolutely loved because I'm a big traveler myself and uh, it just really gave me nostalgic feels for Mm -hmm. my own adventures. And the fact that she just, you know, she didn't need any stuff. Like she just, did with what she had she was very resourceful um that scene with her on the train and sleeping on the hay uh, I loved that um and it was very refreshing to have that in a in a heroine of a film because often like you know you see you gotta at least have a sword and armor and you know if you're gonna go slay the dragon and she's (laughs) like nope I just need the clothes on my back and that was really interesting Yeah. yeah No, yeah. And something that I think is very needed, I think if you've ever done, I've done this thing called No Spend September, Mm. where essentially you don't spend anything other than your basic necessities. Um, So it's not like the random Amazon purchases don't happen. Uh, If things can wait until the next month, just don't buy in that month. And it's crazy how very quickly you can go from feeling like you need, need, need um, whether you buy or, or not, um, I think we're bombarded with messages daily, especially if you're on social media or Instagram, for example, of sponsored posts and like, you guys need to buy this. Like, Hey guys, mm. everyone's been asking about my face wash routine. <laughs> so here are the products that I use. So like, it's just constant. Right. And uh, we see those every day and it's not necessarily that we buy those things, every single message that hits us, but a, a good percentage of people do. Um, but doing a challenge like that, it's funny because you, you totally just get turned off to any of this materialistic things because it's just not a possibility. Like I cannot spend mm-hmm. this month. So it doesn't even cross like your threshold in your mind of, uh, consideration. And very quickly, it, just after a few weeks, you, I've noticed that I just wasn't thinking about things like that. And I was very much more content with what I had than thinking like, Oh, I just need this fun little gadget or this new shirt would be great. And so I like, um, the opportunity that this film presents to have a see that, especially have mm-hmm. Kiki be an example of that. 
um, because it's an example and reminder to me that, you know, minimalism is good and there, we should really look at what we have and, and take a step back to see what's necessary. Um, declutter our lives, Marie Kondo, our homes, Mm -hmm. and then going forward, like learning to be content with what we have less is more. Yeah. So for me, one of the themes that really stood out was like, there's lots of takeaways for creatively inclined people. And one is, can a story be a story without high stakes? I know that there was an emotional arc for Kiki, but I never really felt like the movie established that it was like a high stakes sort of thing. Like it wasn't, you know, live or die. Um, And I think that that can be, that's a good thing. Like it doesn't have to always be like the world's on the line or, you know, your soul is on the line or anything like that. I think, especially now with modern day films, there's, there always has to be, there's that feeling that it has to be like the world is on the line or nothing. And I think there can be a happy sort of medium there. Um, and that's sort of what I enjoy as a writer uh, writing. I like the emotional aspects, the slice of life sort of fantasy. Not everything has to be super high tension in order for it to be enjoyable. I like those breathable, relaxing stories that allow you to just be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And then the other point, having to leave things alone so you can get your creative rhythm back, that whole scene with Ursula in the cabin, it was almost like, it almost felt like a therapy session for Kiki. Um, And that was really interesting. And I think it's especially interesting when you consider Japan and another, uh, another podcast I listened to that focuses on anime and the Japanese, uh, animation industry it talks about how you know japan is famous for its work ethic and basically working people to death like there's a it's very sad um and especially in the animation industry so i almost wonder if miyazaki was trying to make a note about that in a way Mm -hmm. and how as important as it is to produce and to bring works to life it's more important to be at peace with yourself and to, um, yeah, put yourself first. Like creators are just human. They're not machines. So that was really an interesting thing to see in that movie. Yeah, I can see Very that. Very cool. Questions. All right. So we have final questions. What happened to the other witch? That was my question. <laughs> like she just shows up, has her little conversation with her, and then it's like, peace out, and you never see her again. And well, I feel she like she was going home to a different city, wasn't she? Oh, was she? Yeah. yeah. I think that was in the sky. She was like, That's my town over there, but that's not ultimately the place that oh. she ends up. So she'd already done her like year sabbatical training boarding school situation. And they just happened to meet in the sky. And she judges Kiki for sure and is Snob Hill. And, uh, <laughs> and then it just, you know, it was just, to, I think, not that she was a character we were supposed to focus on. Well, I did like her hair. <laughs> she was just hmm. someone to introduce that, hey, girl, the real world is li- not, you know, basically you're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I liked her, though, in all her snobbishness. Like, I feel like she would have been a really good sort of antagonist for a film mm-hmm. like she just had that 
sort of great character design. And she had a cat. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Can you ever have too many cats? <laughs> I like, I've, that's why I was like, I feel like you could have done a lot more. Like, mm-hmm. you're, hey, her- that's what the sequel's for. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then I know they end up best friends in the end. Oh, good. <laughs> um, and I know that they, they brought back the family at the very end of like, oh, we got a letter. Oh, or a phone call or whatever it was. And it was, they're like, oh, good. But it was, I felt like they, they missed, I missed out on knowing more mm-hmm. about the family and Same. having them in it. So that's yeah. where I was. Yeah. They were so endearing. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. I loved the dad, especially. Yeah. How, how long did it take Kiki to write that letter? Like how, how many months does the film take place over? Cause I was like, if it's like two or three months, or something like that and then she's just writing them a letter at the end i feel like if that was my kid i would be going out of my mind with worry not having heard from them you yeah. know my 13 year old oh <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> so what i wanted to know was what was up with ursula i loved her character and when she was first introduced in the middle of the woods uh the movie drops like that i'm that really amazing tidbit that the crows used to serve the witches. And then you see yeah. them on her roof with her. And it was like sort of like Jane with the <laughs> with the little little chimp baby and Tarzan <laughs> trying to draw and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, it she's was. gonna be like this she's gonna be like this queen of witches or something that can talk to the crows. And nope, she's just this girl who's living in the creepy woods all by herself. You know, like yep. <laughs> it's sort of more like a horror movie setup than anything else. So, yeah, I was really disappointed that they didn't do more with her because she was such an interesting character. She was very interesting. She was definitely a hippie type that was like, <laughs> I'm. It's she's the type of person that says I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna live off the grid and gets like mm-hmm. all the things in order to not have to have anybody to like <laughs> yep. answer mm-hmm. to which i can respect you know I'm yeah like, go you i wish i had the guts to do that like Absolutely. her little cottage was like that's what i would retire to you know like a little cottage in the woods with animals and stuff and i'll never talk to anybody again <laughs> <laughs> except the birds <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which also freaked me out they were terrifying the birds, what i mean that really was uh <laughs> the things that nightmares are made of <laughs> Like those birds <laughs> yes. were crazy and they kept going after her. And then like all of them were swooping in on her. I was like, no, I can't. I'm my anxiety mm-hmm. is lifting right now. <gasps> mm-hmm. Hey, it, it's Miyazaki. What do you expect? I mean, this isn't like Princess Mononoke levels, but oh, yeah. you know, where he's getting his start. He's just testing the waters with creepy animals, if you will. So any last thoughts before we rate it? Can we talk about Gigi for a moment? Oh, yes. This is yeah. very important. Let's, I think I know yes. where you're going with this, but let's do it. <laughs> so I loved his character. He was my favorite character in the entire film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and what, it broke my heart when I learned about the differences in the, the various versions mm-hmm. uh, when I was doing some research so the first English dub, the one that I saw, uh, they actually the had Disney Gigi one. speak. Yes, they had. Of course, it would be Disney, right? They have <laughs> like, to make this, it happy. This is too sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they um, had him be able to speak to Kiki again at the end, and I was, 
because while I was watching it, I just sort of had this like thinking feeling, like without really knowing um, what the original Japanese ending was. I was like, oh boy, oh boy, they're going to like make him not talk to her at the end, aren't they? And then I reached the end and he talks and I was like, phew. And then I did the research and I learned that the Japanese version was like, let's take out your heart throw it on the ground, stomp on it a couple <laughs> times, and spit for good measure. And I was, yeah, it sort of almost ruined the a bit of the film for me, like the enjoyment that I had while watching it. And it was such a whimsical, endearing feeling to it. And then it's like, let's take away the sort of one interesting power that you have as a witch, your ability to talk to your cat. Let's you know, let's toss that to the side. It reminded me a bit of like Fern in Charlotte's mm, Web when she abandons yeah. Wilbur for a boy. Like, <laughs> oh, dash. always a boy. <laughs> oh, you know. So, right. Yeah. But I think it in both of those situations, it represents sort of a loss of innocence or a moving mm-hmm. on, you know, with Kiki speaking to Gigi. It's not necessarily a witch thing. It's yeah. just a child thing. And so as she's gone on this adventure and she's learning and she's, you know, becoming more and more of an adult every day, those things of her childhood stay in the past. And so she, at the end of the original version and, you know, not the Disney-fied version, but Gigi <laughs> doesn't speak. And that's really, you know, to show the change in her character over time mm-hmm. and just another representation of, of how she's grown. We actually did a patron road donation question on this. And we said, should Gigi talk at the end or not? And I'll read one of the responses is by Josella says, I grew up with the Disney dub of Kiki's delivery service. I remember Gigi talking at the end, rewatching the dub in theaters. The ending was changed back to Gigi being silent at the end. Having Gigi be silent at the end suits the story better since it shows Kiki's maturity. She has friends outside of him. However, I'd like to see Gigi speak again just to get some closure and see them <laughs> reconcile. <laughs> yes. I felt... Definitely. Oh, I don't know. Because I, I was confused at that. I, was, I thought that maybe it was because she was a witch that she was able to and therefore it was a power mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. just her being a young girl and being able to speak to animals mm-hmm. because of her desire to and understand and just be uh-huh. with this cat. And but yeah. does anyone else speak to him? No. I don't think so. No. no. But I also at first I thought it was the fact that he had gone and, you know, gotten gotten to be friends with this little white cat over at the side and it's like, "Oh, <laughs> it's the girl. <laughs> the white cat yeah. ruined him." <laughs> like I was thinking like, did the cat just like now he forgets how to talk because he's spending more time with this other cat. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. So I, I was stressed out about that. Um, would I cons- uh, do I think he should talk at the end? I think it would have been better if I would have had more of a, of a knowledge of why he talked in the first place. Yeah, I agree. I think without that, like I sort of would assume that that, part of Kiki's talent but then if it wasn't part of her talent what is her talent does she have a talent other than flying which all witches can do it's just very like that part wasn't explained enough in order to make the rest clear um and I thought 
it was a little sad that, you know, in order for her to be considered grown up, she has to stop talking to her cat. I'm like, you know, I think the best grown ups all have a little bit of childhood still in them. So to sort of have that message where, well, hey, like, get rid of your imagination in order to grow up. Like, it just felt very almost anti what a lot of Studio Ghibli films portray. Like, it was really hard for me to reconcile that this movie was made by the same guy who who created, you know, like, My Neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just sort of like, they're so opposite each other, almost, in message. Right. All right, guys, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. The moment where we rate the film. So, guys, what would you rate Kiki's Delivery Service? I would rate it probably three and a half out of five. I enjoyed the beginning part of the movie a lot. I found Kiki very relatable. I loved the whole traveling section. Uh, I found after that, uh, the second half was a bit of a slog personally for me to get through until the cabin scene with Ursula and all the feels sort of hit me that (laughs) saved the second half for me but just that and like the sort of disjointed feeling of a lot of the scenes there weren't always very great uh like they just sort of cut from one to the next very disjointedly so that was a bit off-putting for me visually so yeah the music the animation the the whimsicality of it and Gigi saved it from being <laughs> a lower score for me, but it's definitely not my favorite of the Ghibli films. So 3.5 out of five. I think I'm going to agree with you on the, on the score 3.5. I was trying to figure out exactly where I, I, where this fell for me. I thought the animation really was one of the most beautiful things mm-hmm. I've seen. Like the you go to the town and the town is gorgeous and you have just so many elements as you're flying through that I was like, wow, really well done animation wise. And then also I like I said, I liked the music. I liked how it weaved in with the story. The the soundtrack seems like it was very well put together. Um, Kiki herself, I, it was give and take. Like you said, the, at the first, I felt like there was, I, I was in it cause I was like, oh, okay. She's a witch. <laughs> I'm not a wife. You're I'm a witch. <laughs> I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. <laughs> uh, she was, she had a cool buildup, like as far as who she is, what this story could be. I was asking myself questions like, what is she going to do? Uh, it did slow down. I felt like the... I felt like the ending was a little strange. Like it, maybe the, maybe it was because it was different, but the thing that I noticed most was the, the arc and how it was a very, it, it was a different arc in the fact that she had so much hope at the the beginning, went straight down for a while and then just kind of went up to, I'm capable of moving on as opposed to not having the nor- the normal three-act structure. I mean, it is a three-act structure, but it's not the same as in, you know, things get harder and harder and harder. It was just more like, things are great. Things suck. Things are okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think 3.5 is a good solid score for me. Yeah, I'm sort of wavering between three and 3.5. I I like 
this this film feels very Miyazaki to me. It feels very Studio Ghibli where it I like how it goes at its own pace. It's not too quick. It doesn't necessarily have all these crazy characters in your face. It's very much um, it, of its own style and unique, very much of the studio. And, you know, uh, it like like has been said, it's very whimsical feeling, but at the same time grounded in reality. So you have these two different worlds where, you know, you have this magical girl um, who's kind of a fish out of water in this more realistic modern world. And it's fun to see her adventures and her delivery service and everything that happens there. But it's not necessarily a movie that's just so impactful. Obviously, there were a lot of themes that we talked about and, you know, really analyzed her character. But it wasn't one that totally grabbed me and just fell in love with this movie and was just completely, you know, raptured by it. So I guess for that reason, I'm just going to give it three stars just to be different. Okay, there you go. All right, be sure to let us know your thoughts, what you think about this film. Go to rotoscopers.com slash 188 and let us know in the comments there. That's where you can find all the show notes for this episode. But right now, we are going to be heading to the voicemails. Hi, this is Melissa with a voicemail for your Kiki's Delivery Service episode. I was so excited to hear you were going to cover this movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. I first saw it on the Disney Channel back in the mm, late 90s or early 2000s. I can't quite remember. There was a time when they showed it quite a bit, and I watched it quite a bit. I actually just watched it again this past spring and loved it just as much, maybe even a little more, because I feel like now I can appreciate things like the gorgeous animation and just how sweet and innocent the movie is. It has such a different pace from what I'm used to seeing from American animated movies. It's slow and quiet and really takes its time to tell its story and develop its characters. And I really appreciate that. Um, Something else I always liked from the movie that when I was a kid, which I still like now, is Gigi the little cat. He's so sarcastic and... His remarks are always so funny. I just love that about him. And so, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this movie. I really look forward to hearing what you all have to say. Thank you. Hey guys, hope you're all doing well. And I am thrilled to hear that you are doing Kiki's Delivery Service. This one holds a special place in my heart, as this was my introduction to Hayao Miyazaki. And let me just say, this catapulted me on a whirlwind going from Castle in the Sky to older films like um, not Princess Mononoke, um, Natsuka, The Valley of the Wind. There we go and pretty much every other film that he came up with. My personal favorite is Howl's Moving Castle, but we're not here to talk about that today. Let me just say, Kiki is a wonderful coming-of-age story. I love that it's Kirsten Dunst doing it, and I just love the story overall. I'm all for spreading your wings and going out on your own, and Kiki does it in a very fun way, and, and the characters are quirky, the I, I love Asono. I love the cat. Um Tombo Tombo just 
I don't know how I feel about Tombow. He kind of doesn't understand how you're supposed to meet a girl. And quite frankly, I'm kind of on Kiki's side of it's very rude to um, speak to someone before you've been introduced and before you know her name. So, I mean, yeah, Tombow, you need to work a little bit when it comes to the ladies. Um, but yeah, overall, I love this film. It's great. My sister and I love to watch this on occasion. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think of it. So, um, yeah, that's my two cents. Have a good day, guys. Stay healthy. All right, if you want to send in a voicemail for our next episodes, be sure to send it at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. Give us a call at 406-646-6575. Or we're in the modern age now. Send us a voice memo on your phone. Then send us an email, contact at rotoscopers.com, and let us know what movie you are reviewing in your voicemail or what the topic is. Just put voicemail dash then whatever movie or voicemail dash. I have a random thought about this. Whatever. We got you. all we have for this episode of the animation addicts podcast it was a blast first off becca it was a blast having you on the episode you are so articulate and i loved all your thoughts and opinions so thank you thank you thank you not only for being a patron but for joining us and picking this amazing movie thank you for having me it was so much fun i absolutely enjoyed myself and i'm glad i came off articulate because i feel like i ramble sometimes so not at all no you were great (laughs) (laughs) so where can people find you you've been taught you've been hinting at your work and i'm uh, my ears are perked (laughs) so i'm on instagram twitter and facebook those are my main uh, places. So you can find me on Instagram as uh, Becca.Gremakova, on Twitter at Dream of Writing, and on Facebook as well uh, under Becca Gremakova. And I'm also very active or try to be very active in the patron uh, Facebook page. And I'm there under Rebecca Borshevsky. So you can also find me there. And yeah, Becca yeah. Gremakova is just my pen name for my writing. So, ah. yes, I'm a yeah. woman of many masks. <laughs> I love it. We will include the links to all of those in the show notes so you can find Becca directly. But then, like she did plug, if you want to interact with her even more in our patron group, be sure to check out Being a Patron. We think it's pretty cool and fun. So be sure to subscribe wherever good podcasts are found. And today's five-star review was by Mikey INSD. So Mikey in San Diego, maybe. I do not know. And his title is Udalali. He gave us five stars and said, undeniably, one of the best podcasts I've listened to. Aw, thank you, Mikey. And of course, Udalali. <laughs> be sure to leave us a review in iTunes. Our goal is to get 500 reviews. We're currently at 306. So if you haven't written a review yet, go ahead and do that. Just do it. So our episode is going to be a troll in Central Park. Becca has her patron perk for being our highest tier of patron. And since she was on the episode, we didn't have anything. We asked her to pick from our list. And she chose a troll in Central Park. So we're going to get some Don Bluth Dazzle going and talk about that one. And then the episode right after that, it's Chelsea's birthday episode, so Chelsea will get to pick, and she will announce 
her pick on the Troll in Central Park episode. So get ready, guys. Yay! All right, guys, that's all we have for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. Until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. So have you, do you re remember what Catch and Fire is? Yes. Can you might want to uh, just go over the rules again, though, because as I mentioned to you before, I have a Dory memory. So. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so. Time out, Chelsea. Um, I have a child in my room, so I'm going to, like, <laughs> get him back in bed so you can continue yeah. without me, which is fine because you're asleep. So I'll, be right if, I'll be right back, but I'm not going to be talking for a while. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so. 22 out of 22. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and later it was released as an English dub in American theaters in May 23rd, 1988. This was something that Disney, they had procured the rights. 1998. Thank you. <clears throat> You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening.